0: an illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is, we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. Living with chronic illness can be very stressful and draining on one's life and mental health. We are dealing with big life changes from managing our symptoms, doctor's appointments, different treatments, and trying to figure out how to cope. Then to top it all off, we face stereotypes and judgments from our friends, family, and even from our doctors and nurses. We may be labeled as difficult or a problematic patient, a frequent flyer, a hypochondriac, or even a drug seeker. And then our symptoms and needs can be easily dismissed. We may lose friends who are uncomfortable with the fact that we are now sick and cannot understand why we can't do everything we did before. Today's guest is an amazing warrior named Courtney. Courtney is a mom of three kids and lives in a very small town in Canada with only 38 people. Any specialist appointments are at least an hour away from her house and most are two and a half hours away. A one-time paramedic as well as a medical office assistant Courtney knows the medical world. While working at the doctor's office, she began experiencing seemingly unconnected medical issues such as chronic migraines, gallstones, chronic respiratory tract infections, and pleurisy, UTIs, and joint issues. Courtney began running into medical gaslighting and fat shaming as doctors couldn't explain all her symptoms. And on Halloween, 2019, She went to see her doctor as she felt incredibly sick from what she assumed was just a bad case of influenza. As it turned out, her vitals were all over the place, so she was transferred via ambulance to Saskatoon, two and a half hours away from her house, where she was admitted for a week. After running a boatload of tests, she was given a diagnosis of exclusion, POTS. She was sent back to a hospital nearby her home where doctors spent another three weeks trying to figure out how to manage it. She was bedridden for so long that she basically had to teach herself how to walk again with a walker. She also experienced unexplained blood clots and was later diagnosed with Eller Danlos syndrome. And her rheumatologist believes that she still has an unidentified autoimmune issue due to her unexplained muscle weakness, extreme fatigue loss of hair, and mysterious fevers. And with all those challenges, she also faced unbelieving, unsympathetic, and even abusive doctors and nurses, as well as friends who pulled away or offered judgments or microaggressions instead of understanding and kindness. Courtney, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa, and letting me tell my story. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure and sadly I think your story is not an uncommon one in this world we live in in the chronically ill. I know I personally have faced a lot of judgments and comments and microaggressions from you know people closest to me to the health community but I would love for you to kind of tell your story and fill in any gaps for anything I kind of left out in that introduction.
1: Sure, Um, so I was born in Edmonton, Alberta um, which is one of the Prairie Provinces in Canada in the eighties, and I was the queen of participation medals for any kind of athletic event. Um, so I had severe asthma. I had my first attack when I was three. Um, so I was always the goalie. Anything that involved running, I couldn't do. Um, and my dad has some severe health issues and always has as well. So growing up, I already had. Illness that a lot of kids didn't because it wasn't that common in the 80s. Um, And as I got older, I was often called a space cadet because I was so clumsy. So I was always spraining my ankles. I broke my wrist. I've broken all of my toes and most of my fingers Mm. just from falls and things that generally you wouldn't think would result in that much damage. But it was the 80s and then the 90s, and people just didn't think about what that could mean in a kid. Mm. Instead, even from a young age, I kind of felt like I was a hypochondriac because Mm. I would hurt myself and people would be like, well, that you barely fell. How'd you hurt yourself doing that? So I was in physio by the time I was 11 uh, for dislocating knees. Uh, When I was 13, I had a bad ski accident on my right knee uh, when we were living in upstate New York and I was in a brace for six months. But there wasn't really anything said. There was no physio booked after, not very much follow up. And so I started to have chronic problems with that knee in particular from the age of 13. Mm. So that was challenging. And of course, I was embarrassed and didn't want to yeah. cause a fuss, even as a kid. And so as I got older, you know, I hit puberty, things like depression and anxiety manifested. I have a strong family history of it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that added kind of another layer of complication at a young age because I did have anxiety. I was often told, oh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're worrying about nothing. So I really started kind of internalizing that as a kid and starting even then to like not talk about things that were bothering me necessarily. Mm-hmm. So grew up, uh, I actually started accumulating system- symptoms before um, working in the doctor's office, unfortunately. So I had complicated pregnancies with rare conditions, one mm-hmm. called a placenta previa, which would have killed me and my son. And I had to deliver him five weeks early. Wow. He spent two weeks in the NICU and the percentage of population uh, impacted by that condition is 0.01%. Oh. And I got it. And I remember my family joking, oh Courtney, she gets all the rare things, you know, and laughing about it. And you know, I'm kind of laughing along, but at the same time, in the back of my head, I'm like, this isn't really actually funny, guys. Right. You, you know, this
0: is angry. I mean, but you probably don't want to show that yet, you know, because that you don't want to be a burden or or the angry person. And
1: I was pregnant, so I should be happy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's what's important. Bring this baby into the world. And I was like, but you guys, I could die. Like, is anybody going to talk Address about them. that? Yeah. And I spent eight weeks on bed rest. I had nurses come every two days to draw blood, to do a cross and match for my blood type, just in case I start bleeding out. So, yeah, just weird, weird things. Had a hysterectomy at 33. Which is not common. And you know, so I had all these medical problems, and then I had a lot of self-doubt,
2: mm-hmm. which I
1: think we all do. Um, and, you know, I have a medical background. Um, I have a Bachelor of arts, but my focus was physical anthropology and human anatomy. So I'm quite educated in terms of that. I went to paramedic school for two years and worked as a intermediate care paramedic for a couple of years. It was very hard on my body. Yeah. And also it was just hard. It's emotionally. a stressful job. Yes. It's a stressful I, mean,
0: I can imagine that's like one of the hardest parts of someone's life. And you get to go in on that. So you, you get to be the to, first one. Yes. Yeah. That's very stressful. You either save them or you get them to the hospital. You don't, I mean, that's a lot of stress on someone in general. I mean, you have to be a certain type of personality to to do it in my brain, but that's incredible. You could, but it had to be stressful on your body.
1: It was. And, um, when I decided my husband and I decided we wanted to have kids a little bit earlier, like in my mid twenties, which I guess isn't early for a lot of people, but for my family, it was, Mm -hmm. we had our first child and my husband lost his job in the film industry. We lived in a city named Calgary. Mm -hmm. It's quite a large city. Um, He lost his job, and we ended up having to move to rural Saskatchewan to help his parents farm. And at first, it was a three-year plan. Let's get back on our feet. We're going to move back to a city in three years, both city people. And it's been 12 years now, and we're living on a grain farm. Uh, The closest Hamlet, which is a mile from my house, has 38 people. Wow. And then the nearest town where my kids go to school, I doctor, is 40 minutes from my house. I can't even imagine. So, and on gravel. And if you think in the winter, a two lane oh. highway with, you know, we had so many snowstorms this year where we couldn't leave the house for a week. And we have tractors. But, you know, so isolation is a big part of living out here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's something that makes accessing healthcare quite challenging. I also live on the border between two provinces. Mm -hmm. So what happens is I get referred for tests in Alberta, which is the next door province. And then the results don't come up where I can see them because they're in Alberta or I'm seeing physicians from Alberta, even though I'm from a different province.
0: So it makes the crossover um, very difficult. Right. Right. And I wanted to ask anyway, What do you think your location, and I know in Canada, you do have universal health care, which there's pros and cons for everything. You know, how did that impact the stereotypes and the hurdles that you face in the medical community now? And how do you think it affects your level of care that you're getting?
1: Well, in terms of immediate medical care, I worked as a medical office assistant at a medical clinic in the nearby town where my kids go to school. And there's only one doctor's office. And the structure in a lot of small towns in Canada is we have a small hospital, and then we'll have a doctor's office.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the doctors who work at the office are also the physicians that work the hospital. And they take turns. It's called an on call schedule. I'm sure lots of medical professionals are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one doctor covers Monday and Thursday another Tuesday and Friday. And if you don't work in a clinic like I did, you would never know what doctor you're going to the emergency room for. So perhaps there's a doctor that is notorious about gaslighting you Mm -hmm. and you don't want to have that interaction. A lot of times I don't get a choice when I'm having a medical crisis. I have to go into the hospital and I have to hope that the physician that is on call that day is one that believes me. Yeah. So like the flip side of that is in a small town, you know, everyone. Mm -hmm. So the town with the doctor's office in the hospital is about 2,200 people. And I worked at the doctor's office for years. Mm -hmm. So I know pretty much everybody in town. I know all of the medical staff and that at one point makes it easier because I can call and say, I'm not feeling well to my primary care physician and he'll take me seriously. Mm -hmm. The other side of that is I can go to the hospital and have a nurse that thinks I'm a hypochondriac and trying to get attention and she can have told all the other nurses on shift that. So, when I show up, I get immediately, you can tell their backs are up. Mm. And, you know, a lot of mean things get said in that context. Yeah. And it really feels like you don't get to meet people and make your own impression in a small town. Yes. Everybody already knows you. So, you know, it's a double edged knife. And then, in terms of, Living in a province that didn't doesn't put much into healthcare. Mm -hmm. So our province is short on every kind of specialist. So I've been on a wait list for an endocrinologist for coming up four years. My gosh. And I have symptoms of something called Addison's disease, which can be very dangerous. It can be deadly. And when I first got sick, they tested it, tested me for it. And they said you have subclinical, which means I have features of Addison's, Mm -hmm. but not to the level that they're going to treat it, but I needed follow up with an endocrinologist, which I have not seen. And many of the symptoms that I'm currently experiencing are symptoms of early Addison's disease. So, you know, that's something that needs to be looked at. Mm -hmm. And we tried to go around the system and refer into Alberta where I'm from and where my family lives. And got letter after letter saying, we don't take out of province patients. Wow. So, you know, you're trapped because, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to see this type of doctor or I know as a medical professional and the doctors know. But my family physician cannot affect that in terms of getting me an appointment. He can write a letter and put urgents on it.
0: But. And you You know know that all the doctors do that too, I'm sure. Because they all market urgent, even when it probably isn't just so that they can all try to get it in, which I don't blame them. They want their patient to be seen, but that is intense. And the fact you have to wait so long as you are dealing with these symptoms and you don't know, you're not getting treated for those things. That's, that's scary. And I've heard too, you know, with universal healthcare, I mean, there's some pros, which is. I know I've talked to several people who said there's no way I could have afforded everything, all the treatments I've done. There's no way I would have been in debt to my eyeballs. But then they also said it took me forever to get like an MRI or a test took me two years to get an MRI on my knee. And I'm like, whoa. And then it took another year to have surgery or something like that to get into the doctor. And the the length of time it takes to be seen is so long because of the way the healthcare system is.
1: A hundred percent. And actually, you're telling my story right there. I have a bad knee. And I fell going up some stairs. I'm still clumsy <laughs> and landed on my knee. And honestly, I probably should have gone to the doctor. I was running up the stairs, lost my balance, mm-hmm. my right knee hit the pavement and my head hit a steel door. Mm. And I picked myself up, dusted myself off, and just kept going. And I really wrecked. The same bad knee. So I had to have surgery on it, but it was a three year process of waiting for a referral to a physician, getting that referral, going to the appointment, him saying, I think it's not this, it's this, and I don't touch that. I need to re refer you to another surgeon, and you need to wait for an MRI. So it took three years. And at this point, that knee needs to be replaced. I'm 40. And I've been told to hold out until I'm in agony because wow. you can only get it done a certain amount of times. And I'm at the point now where I pay out of pocket. So there is some fee-for-service healthcare in Canada. One of that is MRIs. So you can't just call an MRI place and book yourself. You still have to do it through a physician. But it's I've had a brain one, and now I've had a knee one. And each time, it was upwards of $1,000 out of a pocket that insurance won't cover. That's simply desperation. You know, I can't wait another three years
0: and my health is declining. Yeah. And it's answers you need. Yeah, you need help and you can't and you can't go around the system other than what you've tried to do and paying. You know cash, but even then you can't always get in because of the province issues and all those things. I mean here we can call and get a MRI very quickly. We do have to have a doctor's uh, prescription, but I mean it is instantaneous. I can get an MRI that same day now, what I pay for it out of you know my insurance, and if I don't have insurance, it's insane. And with insurance, I think I still think I pay four hundred to five hundred dollars out of my pocket and that that creates their own problems. So there's definitely pros and cons with each healthcare system, but I find that it's interesting to kind of learn about someone else's and the fact that I I can't imagine. And I also wanted to point out how interesting when you said, you know, you fell, you got up, you dusted yourself off. And I think part of the reason you did that is because you were programmed from even being a young child to do that and to, you know, not be, trouble or a burden or to, because of all the, the run-ins you have and the judgments and the stereotypes that you were this clumsy. And honestly, you probably have a condition that makes you more clumsy. One of the main symptoms of Ehlers-Danlos
1: is poor proprioception. That means because our joints are hypermobile, that our brain isn't as good as at interpreting our body in space mm-hmm. as a quotation, normal person is. So uh, one of the
0: diagnostic signs is clumsiness. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's not even something that you can control, but you feel like it is. And yes. that really kind of goes back to, even as a child, you know, having to run into those judgments and those things by others, by doctors, by, by your family, by all those things. So what are some examples of some judgments and microaggressions that you have received as a patient of, you know, with chronic illness and with everything, all your diagnoses? Uh, I have so many examples, unfortunately, Mm. like
1: weekly do one of the minor ones that I tend to run into a lot. I get weekly IV fluids. Mm -hmm. It's a treatment for my POTS, uh, which is a form of dysautonomia. I have very low blood pressure. So the fluids help keep my blood pressure more stable. For some reason, my body is not absorbing oral liquids in the way that it should, Mm. which can happen with POTS. And you have to have some really sophisticated diagnostic tests to figure out if your blood plasma is low. Because if your blood plasma is low plus your red blood cells, your body won't absorb water. Mm. because it's in balance. Your body likes equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So I started um, on Thanksgiving getting IV fluids. It's once a week. Mm. Uh, it's very unpleasant for me. Um, my veins are collapsing. I have like severe vascular compromise at this point. It's eight tries on average to get an IV started. Mm. And by tries, I mean, they get the vein every time and uh, I used to be a paramedic. I know exactly how it works. They hit the vein and then they go to put fluid through it and my veins explode. So my arms are constantly covered in bad bruises. I have an incredibly high pain tolerance like most of us, Mm -hmm. but nobody wants to sit there and get poked over and over.
0: So when it goes in out of your vein and pops in your arm, I remember I had like Popeye arms when I had to get, you know, so much antibiotics and it busted my veins. And so my arm would just swell up. And the doctor was like, oh, it's not going in the vein, but it hurt. It stung. It was very uncomfortable. And it takes a
1: long time to go down. It's called going interstitial. And it can be quite hazardous with some medications. Saline isn't one of those. So I go to my local hospital once a week. Mm -hmm. I don't ask for anything but saline. Sometimes I will get gravel. Because I am constantly nauseated, unfortunately. And there's times where I just can't cope with it anymore. So I'll get IV gravel. Mm -hmm. But I've been going every week for months. I'll show up and walk to the nurse's desk. And I'll meet someone that I haven't met before. And the attitude is, can I help you? And I'll Mm -hmm. be like, yeah, I'm here for fluids. I come once a week. The orders are at the desk. Oh, and what do you think you need that for? And that has not happened to me just once. It's happened to me many times. Mm -hmm. And honestly, there's no point in getting angry about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't jump to defend myself anymore like I used to. I I basically say, you get tired. And also it's none of your business. I have doctor's orders. Mm -hmm. So basically now I say I have doctor's orders. I get it for dysautonomia. And I had one nurse a couple of weeks ago go, oh, there's another lady in town that has that. She comes yeah. to the hospital all the time to get fluids. I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm that lady.
0: <laughs> you know everyone there. You're like, it's it's <laughs> only
1: me. It's only yeah. me. Oh, yeah. um, so that's one of like the more daily kind of you know, microaggression type interactions that'll i have mm-hmm. that are deeply unpleasant and They're draining. The other one, I'm going to use a bigger example this time, just because I have been medically gaslit by so many doctors and specialists at this point Mm. that I actually just don't respond. (laughs) I just like look them in the eyes and just kind of slow blink and let them do their thing because frankly, I don't have the power in that relationship. And a lot of times I'm like, what is this argument? going to gain me.
0: Right. Probably so, just worth of them not believing you and being more irritated by your presence. So it's like, you don't even have the ability to stand up for yourself in the way you want all the time, because you know that it's going to just impact it worse.
1: Exactly. You just got to go. I know you, all of us know you just have to just keep going because you're sick you yeah. need medical help that you cannot provide for yourself mm-hmm. so i'm now at the point where i hate the hospital <laughs> i'm sure so many of us are like that mm-hmm. if i let them admit me they know that i am very ill because i hate it and so i will resist going in if i think that i can cope with the pain or mm-hmm. You know, this is probably something that'll pass and I just have to cope with it. But sometimes I get to the point where physically I need medical care. I can't get out of bed. I can't sit up, Mm -hmm. you know. So that happened to me uh, at the end of October this year. I'd been sick for six weeks. I'd been going to the doctor's office and complaining about being acutely ill. I suspect it's probably an autoimmune flare. Couldn't get out of bed. Had to call my husband home to help me stand up to go to the bathroom. And that's humiliating. (laughs) And finally, I'd had enough. And my husband was like, you haven't lifted your head in three days. He's like, I'm putting you in the car and you're going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to go. So we get there. And the nurse told me who was on call. And it was a doctor from another town that doesn't do on call very often. But I know both professionally and personally. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the nurses, I had a great nurse and she's like, what do you think is wrong? What do you think is going to help you? There are a couple of those great advocate nurses. Mm -hmm. I love them. They have my utmost respect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was saying, what do you think you need? What is going on? And I was like, I don't know. I feel so sick. And she's like, "Well, doctor, don't call. We'll call him in." Six hours later, he came in. I was in one of the emergency bay rooms, which faces the main area where the doctors and nurses sit. And I heard him talking about me outside the door. And he's like, "Yeah, did she even bother to take her medication?"
2: Oh no!
1: And right away, my shoulders are up. Mm-hmm. I'm immediately tense, and I know how this interaction is going to go. Mm-hmm. And my husband was in the room, which honestly doesn't happen that often right. because we have three kids. We're farmers, so he's very busy. And also, you know, he's just not comfortable. He's a shy person, he's not comfortable advocating mm-hmm. for me, but he was there this time. And the doctor walked in and went, So you like a lot of sweet things, don't you? As he looks me up and down. That was his intro. Nice and nice. Yeah. So I looked at him and said, actually, no, pretty much everything makes me sick now. Sugar is top of the list. I barely eat sugar unless I acknowledge that the consequences are worth the deliciousness of that sugar. Sure. Isn't very often. So he walks in. He's like, Yeah, you ever heard of leaky gut? I was like, Yeah, I've heard of it. He's like, Well, he's like, That's probably why you eat all that sugar. And, you know, he does the hand motion at my abdomen. And yes, I am fat. And I do not consider it a bad word. Human Mm. bodies have variability, one. Two, chronic illness patients are on a boatload of meds that interact in a weird way with your body. And hormones. A lot of hormones. We A lot of us have mobility issues. So getting some exercise, go for a walk, is not something that's feasible for me when I'm in a flare and I'm sure for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So to have him in on that. And then he started ranting about big agriculture and big farm. It was, it was, um, it was crazy actually. So after the leaky gut to which I said, I'm aware of what that is. Yeah. That's not, that's not an issue that I feel we need to talk about right now. And he starts grabbing me without my permission. So he starts by grabbing both my shoulders and squeezing. And he says, does that hurt? And I said, yeah, it hurts. I have a connective tissue disorder. Let me just say he didn't bother asking my history. He didn't bother asking medications. And he starts grabbing me and he squeezes my shoulders. And yeah, they hurt. My shoulders are starting to be bone on bone in my 40s because I have a genetic medical condition. He grabs my elbows. And I say, please stop grabbing me, grabs my hips. And he's like, does that hurt? I'm like, yeah, it hurts all the way down. You do not have my consent to touch my right knee. It's destroyed and it needs a replacement. I don't want you touching it. And mm-hmm. he said, well, all these doctors, your problem is fibromyalgia and leaky gut.
0: Oh, because, oh, you know, not asking your history at all. He, he knows it in two seconds.
1: Exactly. Because he's,
0: he's brilliant. And
1: at this point, I'm angry. Oh, yeah. I'm very angry. But I also know anger is not going to get me what I want with this person because they're already treating me in a patronizing, incredibly disrespectful manner. Mm -hmm. So I say to him, my rheumatologist has diagnosed me. And he's like, "Uh, you're a rheumatologist. What does he know? And then I said, you know what? And my hematologist is also concerned. Oh, why would you have that? I was like, oh, bilateral unprovoked pulmonary embolisms last year. He's like, well, in this case, it's just fibromyalgia. And I did lose my temper and say, it's a warehouse for connective tissue disorders that doctors don't want to diagnose. A lot of people with fibromyalgia have EDS or something similar, and it's easier to put them into that box, which I feel is really detrimental. And that, uh, that was the only point that I said something sharp. Mm -hmm. I didn't yell. I just said, it's a warehouse for connective tissue disorders. I know what I have. Please don't touch me. So he goes, yeah, go home, have a Tylenol and walks out the door. And my husband who has witnessed this entire interaction starts laughing and he goes, that's the craziest thing that I have ever seen. That's bananas. And I'm crying.
0: And he's like, why are you crying? That's like, that was bananas. And you're it's like, it's But only- I'm not going to get help, and I, this is the only doctor I'm on call. And I, so I'm literally going to leave the same way I came, and we didn't even need to come. And, and I no six answer. hours later, six hours in an so, emergency room during COVID. Oh my gosh! Which I mean, if you got COVID, that's terrible. So because you can't, I'm sure, cannot afford to get that on top of everything else. What ended up happening at the end? Like, did you leave?
1: Yeah, I uh, okay. cried myself out a bit. Parker was like, I guess I'll go get a wheelchair and wheel you back to the car and we'll go home. And I'm, yeah, I'm like, okay. And I, you know, he's wheeling me by the doctor is still there. Oh, and he told me to Google leaky gut and fibromyalgia, Google or YouTube it. And that was the other thing I said. I said, you know what? I do my research with peer review papers. I don't use
0: Dr. Google. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he he very intelligently, You, if he had asked anything about your past, he would know how much you do know about your medical history and about medical in general So and how your body works. But he didn't even take that time at all. And that is, it, it, it's sadly a common occurrence in, in our world, especially when they already have dubbed you before coming into your room you know, as a hypochondriac or, you know, that it's just, you know, she's just got to get over it and deal with these leaky gut issues. And it's just such a minor, you know, like, please, she just needs to lose weight. And that's the other thing is the fat shaming on top of it. And then they all focus in on that appearance more than what we're saying and who we are and what we've dealt with and our intelligence level. And you're right though, getting upset it's so hard to tell people what to do in this situation. Like, I don't know how to recommend because there are instances where you do need to stand up for yourself. I mean, there is, but at the same time in your circumstance, I get why you didn't because you have limited doctor resources. You would just get further dubbed as these stereotypes that you are not. And it just makes the doctor more angry and treat you even worse. And, So we put up with a lot of abuse in a lot of ways because we are so desperate for treatment and- Agreed. Sadly, this is all the time we have for today, but I hope you stay tuned next week for the rest of Courtney's story. As she describes more judgments and stereotypes that she faces from the medical community and even from her friends. Her experience is far too common for us in the chronic illness community. I want to thank Courtney for being on the show and sharing her story. And thank you to all my listeners. And remember, you are not alone, and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or do you want to be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is not my pain. At Heroes H E R O E S Circle. dot org, your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you.
1: Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of Kids Kicking Cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power. Peace. Purpose.